Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you guys all came this morning. And as John said, for those who are listening on the Facebook live stream, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning as well. Um, it's kind of weird being able to talk to people who aren't even here so on Facebook Live. But I am excited to be here with you guys this morning. And uh, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to everybody who came this last Sunday for the ordination service. I know Mark and I were very blessed by you guys coming and supporting us. And also, I just want to let you know, because of the fact that I'm now ordained, I get an additional 15 minutes up here in the pulpit. So you better uh, buckle up. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thought I'd at least give it a shot, though. Am I right? So, but I, as I said, I am excited to be with you guys this morning as we continue through uh, the book of Matthew. Um, I'm excited to share with you guys the message which the Lord has placed on my heart uh, as we look at Matthew 25 today. But before we get started, though, uh, it's kind of crazy that I could stand before you guys today and say that Christmas is only 19 days away. For some of y'all, are like, oh man, I haven't even started Christmas shopping yet. Uh, but yeah, Christmas is only 19 days away. It's pretty insane, right? Um, I know personally for me, it literally feels like it was just yesterday I was up here giving the Christmas Eve message last year. Um, it, it's just crazy to see how fast this year has flown by. But at the same time, many of us are probably very thankful for this day because we've been waiting for this day for a long time because that means 2020 is almost over. Um, 2020 has also been a whirlwind of a year. Um, it has literally also felt like 10 years put into one. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but that's how I feel about 2020. Um, it's just been absolutely insane. I mean, first we, you know, go into 2020, and then we have the coronavirus outbreak, right, which ultimately turned into a worldwide pandemic, um, something that I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime. And uh, Calvin, I'm sure you probably thought you'd never see it in your lifetime either, but here we are, right? And not only that, but it turned into, uh, it resulted into a national quarantine. When I first heard about them potentially even doing quarantines, I laughed. I was like, there's no possible way they're going to try to quarantine us and shut down the country. Well, here we are. And some people are still quarantined. Um, so it's, it's pretty insane. And then not only that, but we've also encountered some pretty extreme unrest in our country as far as with civil unrest, um, with just, uh, just the the unrest of um, the socioeconomics and things like that. And then also comes the election of 2020. And that's all I need to say about that. So, um, but now we're facing the holidays. And so we've come into the season of the year where we're where we've already celebrated Halloween, we've hel we celebrated Thanksgiving, and now we're going into the Christmas season. And we are experiencing holidays in a way that we've never experienced them before, right? So needless to say, 2020 has been this whirlwind of a year. But regardless of how it's turned out, we've been able to continue, right? We've been able to take it day by day, and we've been able to make the best of each day. Uh, I mean, after all, we still have all the essential things that we need to survive, right? We still have grocery stores, we still have hospital care, we still are able to come together as a church and the congregation to worship. Uh, we still have... Our educational systems, we're still able to go to college, we're still able to go to the, our local schools, even though our teachers and our students may have a different opinion about that, uh, but it's still functioning, right? But the best thing of all, we still have all of our sports people, right? The one thing that Donald Trump was allowed to bring back, right? 
We still have college football. We still have NFL. We still have the NBA, all these sports, right? So we've been able to continue regardless of what 2020 has thrown at us, whether it's the pandemic, the election, the, the civil unrest, so on and so forth. But that's because we as people, we have learned how to adapt and make the best of our surroundings. We have learned how to uh, embed ourselves and our families for, in our society for our sake to be able to move on and to survive. We're adaptable. And that's a really cool feature about us as humans, right? We're able to adapt, we're able to move on despite the surrounding circumstances. But ultimately though, I think a lot of it is just because we refuse to allow things to interfere on the things that we love and the things that we need. Um, we are oftentimes very stubborn. We don't like people telling us what we can and can't do, especially here in Texas. Um, and, but we're also very prideful, which isn't always a bad thing. However, when I think back on all these things I just mentioned, it's been super convicting to me, and I hope it kind of is for all of us as God's people, because when we look back on all those things I just mentioned, and, we're, and to see the great lengths in which we are willing to go to try to keep our lives as normal as possible, it's pretty convicting, because when you compare that to how we live our lives for the gospel, or for our relationship with the Lord, a lot of times it's incomparable. We have a tendency to spend so much time and energy on the finite things of this world to try to bring satisfaction and comfort into our own lives that we're, we're so focused on that that we get distracted to actually remain focused on the one thing that is very significant in our life, and that is our relationship to our Heavenly Father the one who is steadfast and sufficient in all things. Instead of putting our energy and our desire into that, we tend to have a tendency to find ourselves distraction and wrapped up in this world. Especially in a year like 2020, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that scripture is clear that we are to live in the world, right? God has called us to go and to make disciples of all nations. We are to be here and to live present in this world. However, it's also very clear that we're not to live among the world. There's a distinction there. You can live in the world without being among the world. For as Paul talks about in Romans 12 too, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then it even goes on in James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. And one last reference here is 1 John 2.15. It says this, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These are weighty passages for us. Of what it means for us to live in the world, but not to be of the world or to be among the world. We are called to live a life that is set apart from the world as lights into the darkness, as Matthew talks about in 5.13, and then ultimately as beacons of hope for those who are lost. We are to live unto Christ, as Paul talks about in Philippians 1.21, where he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That needs to be our life motto. That needs to be how we live our lives in days such as this, in times such as this. But for many of us, we actively choose to not only live in the world, 
but we choose to be among the world, to be a part of it, and to be distracted by it. And that is a very dangerous place for all of us to be, not only just us as the church, as the body of Christ, but for anybody in this world. It's a very dangerous place to be. Because if you recall with me back to last week's message from Victor, when we were looking at Matthew 24, Jesus gives us signs that are very clear that we need to be watchful for, signs that we would not see if we are truly distracted by the world. Things such as the great deceptions or the divisions or the disasters of the world, right? Or even the detention or the desertion or depravity. Those are just some of the main things that Victor pointed out to us last week when it comes to the signs which Jesus gave to his disciples, and not only to his disciples, but for us to keep our eyes on as we live day by day in this life. As we live in the world, but not among it. Because if we actively live among the world and its desires, we will ultimately miss what Jesus is trying to prepare us for, and that is ultimately his return. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. So if you guys would open up your Bibles to Matthew 25, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13, and we're going to learn what it means for us today to be ready and prepared and not distracted by the world, because the implications of that is so big, we cannot afford to miss it of what his return will look like. But while you guys are turning there, though, I just want to point out that what we'll be covering today is a continuation from last week's message in chapter 24. This is the same discourse in which Jesus is explaining to his disciples of not only the, 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 the manner of, and the time in which he will return, but also what it will look like. So essentially, chapter 24, if you want to describe it in two different words here, chapter 24 is the pre-rapture. And chapter 25, which we're going to be looking at today, is post-rapture. Yes, I said that word, that one word that no one likes. But that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today in these verses. So let's read this together, picking up here in verse 1 of chapter 25. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they, uh, they took no oil with them. But the wise took the flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you this morning and we recognize that you are good and that you are all-powerful and that you deserve all praise and glory. And so God, I just pray that as we read through your word this morning, that that is exactly what we will do, that we will give you all the praise and all the glory for how good you are in our lives and how you continually provide. But Lord, I just pray this morning as we look at this passage that you will truly open our eyes to the reality of our heart conditions and whether or not we are truly prepared for what is to come when your son returns. 
God, it is a very weighty and heavy thing for us to think about this morning. Because we live in such a dark and ominous world, Father, that just really hits me to think of how many people are truly ready for your coming. So, Lord, I just pray again that as we look at this message or at this word today, Father, you will truly just open our eyes to the areas in our life that we need to, one, repent of and confess, and two, that we just need to turn over to you so that way we can be ready in the day in which you do return. God, we just lift this time to you now. May you speak through me. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... As you can see, as Jesus continues in this discourse to his disciples on not only the time in which he will be returning and how the days are, are that we do not know the day or the hour, he also is using here another parable to explain to them the day of how the day will uh, come about. So as we see here in this text, in this parable, that is taking at a wedding feast, right? So you have these... Um, Ten bridesmaids who were waiting for the groom to come. And this is a very significant illustration because Jewish weddings at this time were not taken lightly. Um, they were not just one day long ceremonies like what we do today with our weddings, right? We have a, a, a time frame that which we try to crunch the entire wedding ceremony into. And if it goes any longer, people get angry, right? Whereas the Jewish wedding, the traditional Jewish wedding was a very multifaceted event. There's actually three parts to the Jewish wedding. The first part is the engagement. And this is the time period in which the fathers of the bride and the groom would come together. Only then two, the bride and the groom are not a part of this. Okay, so this is very different from the engagement period in which we now celebrate today. So the bride and the groom's fathers would come together. They would come to an agreement and make a contract for their marriage. And then they would come together as the bride and groom in their engagement period. Right? So then there's the betrothal period. The betrothal period is the part in which we celebrate today, the ceremony. This is the part where the bride and groom come together and they share their vows in front of their friends and family. So very much like a modern ceremony today in, our, in the wedding. But at this point, very much in the, in the way of our weddings, this is the part where the couple is considered married, but they would not live together. Okay, so they would come together, share their vows, they would be considered married, but they would not live together. The husband would go back to his house and the, and the wife would go back to her house. And the reason why it is because during this time, the husband would go and prepare himself for his family. He would go back and establish his trade or his business so that way when the time does come to bring his wife home with him, they will be ready to, to move on. Everything will be established. So this time period was a lengthier period. Okay, This could take from months to even up to a year for the, the husband to go and establish himself. Very different from a modern ceremony, right? In, the, in a modern wedding ceremony. Then after that would be the wedding feast. So after the husband goes and establishes himself and prepares his home for his family or for his wife, then comes the final part of the ceremony, and that is the wedding feast. And this is the part where the groom and the groomsmen would come and they would go and receive his bride at the bride's house. And typically the bridesmaids would be out front waiting for the groom to welcome him as he comes and receives his bride. And then as that happens, he would, the entire wedding party would then go and they would make a procession throughout the streets proclaiming that the wedding feast was about to begin. And then that would begin the week-long celebration of their, the union of their marriage. So needless to say, 
the Jewish people knew how to party, right? We, we, have, to, we have to take notes of this. So, but to help put this into context of what we're going to actually be looking at today, um, the engagement period here, okay, so as we talked about, would be the, the fathers coming together to make an agreement and a contract. I would compare this to the, the time of Christ's birth. Why I say that is because when Christ came to be born, that was the Father's fulfillment of his contract with us as man. To bring the perfect spotless lambs to, be, to take away the sins of the world, right? So that's the engagement period and, how, and the equivalent to it uh, for us. And then there's the betrothal period, right? And for me, I would say the equivalent of that is the time of after Christ's death and his ascension, so from the time of Christ's ascension to his second coming, that is his betrothal period for us. It's the time in which now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father preparing the kingdom for us to come home to. He's preparing his kingdom for, to come back to receive his bride and to welcome her home. That's the time period in which we live in now. We are in the betrothal period with the Father, right? And then there's the wedding feast, which is the equivalent of Christ's second coming to receive his bride, the church. And that is where we are picking up today in this parable. So as we read about these ten bridesmaids and the, grooms, uh, the, uh, the bridegroom coming, that's exactly where we're at today. So he's illustrating the final stages of his return to proclaim his bride, or to claim his bride, and to separate the sheep from the goats, in other words. His people from those who are not faithful. So let's dig into this together, okay? So let's pick up here in the first four verses. My first point that I want to look at is this, is that Christ's return may be lengthy. This is, seems like it's pretty simple to understand. We all know that we are literally about 2,000 years after, 2,020 years after the death of Christ, right? His return is going to be lengthy. But that's exactly what we're seeing here in the preparation of the bridesmaids, as we pick up here in the first four verses. You see, we have ten, ten bridesmaids who have gathered together to await the arrival of the groom. They're anticipating his arrival, not knowing when he will come, but they are hoping that he is coming. Right? So they're together. They know that he's coming. They just don't know when. But they're for sure know, they for sure know that he's coming, even though they do not know the exact time. But there's something here that I do not want us to miss, and that's how each of them have prepared. You see, five of them had lamps only, whereas the other five had their lamps plus an extra flask of oil, right? So what does this mean? Well, in Scripture, oil is typically a representative of the Holy Spirit, okay? So the flask of oil in this parable represents the Holy Spirit. And this is key because when you look at the bridesmaids, they all prepared for the same reason, right? They all came together to welcome the bridegroom and as he receives his bride. However, the significance of the flask means that only five of them truly knew the bridegroom. They only, only five of them knew the groom. Five of them figured out that the groom was probably going to be a little bit later than anticipated, so they brought extra, the extra oil with them, right? Whereas the other five were like, yeah, he'll probably show up. But they don't really know him very well, right? This guy is oftentimes apparently pretty late, okay? But what this means for us is that when the time came for them to wake for the groom, only five of them were truly prepared. 
Only five of them had their oil to reignite their lamps to welcome him in, while the other five were stranded. They had to go figure out how to get more oil. In a very similar manner, Jesus explains the same idea back in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44, where he illustrates the men and women working in the field. Uh, sorry, the men and women working in their fields and in their homes, and how they're going about their days, but in a single moment, one will be taken away while one will be left behind. One will be prepared while one will be unprepared. It's a very similar illustration that he's using here with the bridesmaids of how five of them knew the groom was coming and they knew him personally to know that they needed to carry their flask of oil, whereas the other five did not. And when the time came, they were ready and they were able to receive the bridegroom, whereas the other five were not. And the same is true for us today. We do not know the day or the time in which Jesus will return, so we, all we can do is wait. And we can wait patiently with great anticipation. However, the question is this, is how are you going to choose to spend your time while you wait? Are you going to be prepared? Or are you just going to sit by idly and not pay attention? Are you going to be distracted? Which leads me to the second point. That Christ's return will be sudden and unexpected. And we see this ultimately in verses 5 through 7. For as, the bridegroom's, uh, for as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, and here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. You see, the bridesmaids were not wrong by sleeping in this parable. I want to make that very clear. Okay? Like I said, we are to, as we go throughout each day, we are to live our lives. We are, we are not to just sit idly by as if, like, uh, we can't do anything. So the, for the bridesmaids to fall asleep in this parable, it's not a bad thing. They were just going throughout their days. However, that does not mean that we become distracted forgetting what we've been waiting for. Does that make sense? We can't be distracted by the things of this world, ultimately forgetting that we are waiting for the true Messiah to come again as Messiah King. We must always be on guard, ready for the arrival of the Messiah. And that's exactly what we see from the five bridesmaids with the flask of oil. They knew that the arrival was coming, but did not know exactly when, so they brought the extra oil with them to reignite their lamps. And that's exactly the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. The Holy Spirit is, lives within us to keep us ready and prepared while, uh, as we live in this world so that way when the time does come, we will be ready. Our flames will be reignited. Whereas with those without the Holy Spirit, when the time comes, they'll be scrambling, trying to figure out why. And then as I said before, that's a very dangerous place to be. So... It is super significant for us as believers today to always be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. Because when the time does come, it's going to be in a moment that we are not expecting. And we do not need to be scrambling the last minute to try to find it. Because guess what? When that time comes, it's too late. You won't be able to find it. And that's a very scary place to be. Which leads me to the third point here, that when Christ returns, his return will separate the wise from the unwise. So when the time comes for the groom to meet his bride here in the parable, 
it's a great time of celebration. So the, bride, the five bridesmaids who have the oil, they, they trim their lamps. They are there to celebrate with him, and he welcomes him into the feast. Those are the wise and prepared, but for those who did not have their oil, they were unwise and unprepared, and they experienced great sorrow and distress. Because as we saw in this parable that when the, time, when the time came, they said, hey, can I have some of your oil? Can I have some of your oil? They're like, well, no, because if I give you some of my oil, then I won't have enough for myself. Go to the dealer and buy your own. And so they scrambled, they fleed to go try to buy their own oil. When the time came, when they were out buying their oil, the groom came and they missed them. And so the five bridesmaids with the oil, they were able to welcome the groom with great joy. But the five without oil scrambled to search for oil and they missed him. But here's the question to ask, okay? So when the, the five ladies asked the other five to, for their oil, how come they didn't share their oil? How come they said that there wouldn't be enough? Well, you see, the reason is this, is that we cannot impart the Holy Spirit onto other people. The five women, the five bridesmaids that had their oil, they had the Holy Spirit. And it is not our place and it's not their place to share the Holy Spirit onto somebody else. Salvation is a personal decision that can only be gained by a personal relationship with the one who can grant it. And that is with Jesus. No one else. So that's why when we see here that when they asked to share the oil, they refused. It's because they cannot, it's not in their place, in their right to share their oil. Just like it is for us today. It is not our place to try to share our Holy Spirit with someone else. Only one can grant the Holy Spirit, and that is Jesus himself. It's personal, it's unique, and it cannot be shared. But what does that mean for us today as believers? What are we going to do about that? Just because we can't share our Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we can't share the gospel message for them to receive the Holy Spirit. we got to do our due diligence, as Christ called us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. We don't need to sit on idle hands waiting for the Messiah to return for selfish reasons. We can't just sit back and have this flask of oil or to sit back and have the key to the kingdom in our hearts and expecting others to come to find it when we're not doing anything to help them. So it is essential for us in times such as this, when the days are drawing near, for us to go and to share the gospel message. Because how selfish is it for us to sit on the key to the kingdom when there are so many who are lost, who are searching? But let's move on to the next point here. And it says that Christ's return will, be, uh, will bring judgment that is irreversible. That's a weighty thing to think about. As we see in verses 10 through 12, as a result of the five bridesmaids being unprepared, they were forced to leave and to find their own oil, ultimately missing the arrival of the groom, and they were shut out of the feast. And this is the reality for all those who do not have the Holy Spirit. Many of us think that by praying a prayer or coming to church or doing good works, that that is enough to grant us access to the great feast. But we are greatly deceived if that is the case. 
Jesus tells us over and over again that it's not by our works or just by praying or prayer that we, if we, that, uh, praying or prayer that we receive salvation, but rather it is by complete and total surrender of our hearts to him. It's literally turning our entire being over to him. It's not just saying a prayer. It's a matter of saying a prayer and ultimately turning your heart to him. And that's what uh, we see in Jesus saying in John 14, verse 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And ultimately what Paul saw, talks about in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart... For with the heart one believes and is justified, but with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it's merely more, it's, it's so much more than just coming to church. It's so much more than just praying. It's so much more than just coming down to the altar and saying a prayer, thinking that you're saved. It's a matter of completely and totally transforming your life to follow after Jesus. It's a commitment. So there's only one way to avoid the irreversible judgment and separation from the Father, which is what we see here in these five bridesmaids who go away, and then when they come back, they're shut out. And that is ultimately having a relationship with Christ alone. For the judgment that which will come is not like anything that we'll ever or that we have ever experienced in this life so far. It's going to be so much greater. And we can't, we can't afford to be here for it, people. This is going to be a scary day when the time comes for the final judgment. So you must be prepared with a decision whether to be for Christ or against him. So which shall it be? Because Christ's return is imminent. And we must be prepared for it. And that's the last point. We see that here in verse 13. It says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He is coming whether we want him to or not. I hope everybody in this room is ready for him to come. I hope we're anticipating his arrival. But for a lot of people, they don't want him to come. They're very content in this world and the things that it offers. But whether it's today or tomorrow or a week from now or months from now or years from now or centuries from now, we must always be ready with our lamps trimmed and with our flask of oil on our sides for the groom will be coming for his bride and trust me, like I said, we don't want to miss it. There's going to be such a great celebration when that day comes. And you want to be a part of it. You don't want to be shut out, left alone in the dark. Those words in which the groom says to the bridesmaids here, going back to verse 12, are very scary and daunting words. For when he says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Think about that. That's, those are scary, scary words for us. If you are unprepared, and that's, if you are unprepared, and that's exactly what you're going to hear. So I pray that we all will make the decision to truly follow him today. That way when the time does come, we will not hear those words, but rather we'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, come into the feast. Because here's the reality for us today, is that if you don't believe me that people will miss his return, just look at the first time he came. Look at the season in which we're fixing to celebrate, Christmas. 
You see, our Messiah has already come once, and many people missed it. You see, he came humbly into this world as a baby, ready and willing to fulfill in every way the purpose of the Father as our Messiah's Savior. And he did that to the T. He came to take away the sins of the world by dying on the cross and to, raise, to rise from the dead, ultimately to ascend back to the Father. And many people missed it. If anything, everybody put him there. The sins of the world put him on the cross. And praise the Lord that he actually took it. But as I said, he came and many people missed it. But because of his grace and mercy, by the great gift of salvation, we now have been given a second chance. But this next time, we won't be so lucky. There won't be any second chances. That's why it is so imperative and so important for us today to understand what it means to follow after Christ. And to make sure that we have that right relationship with him. And that we're not just walking blindly through this world, this dark and deceitful world. But rather we have a true intimate relationship with him. So that way when the day come, does come for him to return, we are ready. We are like the five bridesmaids with their oils, or with their, with their flask of oil. Ready to be welcomed into the feast. Because he will come and establish his kingdom forevermore, and he will receive his bride, the church. So as we go into this time of invitation, my question for us now is, is which bridesmaid are you? Man, I know that's a pretty real question. Which bridesmaid are you? Uh, but which bridesmaid are you? It reminds me back to the parable of the prodigal son, and how it should be labeled the parable of the prodigal sons. And how, which son are you? Are you the one who went to seek after the things of the world? Or are you the lost prideful son thinking that by your works you are saved? But which bridesmaid are you? Are you the one with the oil or without the oil? And if you're not sure, today is the day you need to figure it out. Because we are not promised tomorrow. As we talked about last week and as Victor gave us the points last week with the different signs, there are so many signs around us that his time is near. There's great division. There's great deception. There's many disasters. The time is coming. I don't know when it is, so I don't want to like make you too terribly afraid that it's today, but we do need to be prepared. So make sure you make that decision today because you don't want to miss the groom when he comes for his bride. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you. We just thank you so much once again for your word and that it is active and living, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces our hearts on a daily basis, that it reminds us of who we are in light of who you are and that we are nothing compared to you. But God, we are so thankful for the gospel message of how you sent your son Jesus to come into this world to die for our sins so that we may have access back to you through the free gift of salvation. But Lord, the reality is, is that he's not only coming once, but he is coming again. He is not only coming as Messiah Savior, but Lord, he is coming as Messiah King to establish his kingdom forevermore. 
And Lord, I just pray that we will be ready for it. And that there's anyone in this room today, Father, who is unprepared, that Father, that we will, that they will make a decision today. Because God, we can't afford to miss it. We can't afford to let another day go by. So God, I pray that you'll just pierce the hearts of those in here today that need to make decisions. But Lord, we just give you all the praise and the glory for how you first loved us. And as we go into this Christmas season, Father, when we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus, I pray that we not only celebrate this birth, but Father, that we will also celebrate the time in which you will also return. God, we thank you so much. We just praise you for how good of a God you are to us as your people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.